Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? So am I. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's prepare our hearts to hear His word. Father God, I pray that you will glorify yourself in the preaching of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our response of obedience be pleasing to you, O God. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts to receive your living word, a word in season for each one of us. We pray and ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and those of us worshipping you know, together online, welcome to. Um, can I ask all of you to turn to your neighbor and just quickly talk for a while? What is one spiritual gift that you would really like to have? One spiritual gift. Don't have to think too long. One spiritual gift. If you don't know the person next to you, just say, hi, my name is Raymond, you know, or whatever, and get to know each other. What is the spiritual gift that you like to have? You would really like to have. Don't think too long, okay? Don't go through the entire list of spiritual gifts and then decide. Okay, thank you. This is all, all the time we have. Right. Shout it out, shout it out. Anyone likes the gift of healing? Wow. Prophecy, come on. I see your hand, sister. What about tongues? Okay, a few hands. Right, any other gift that you'd like to have? Shout it out for me. Anyone? Anyone? Sorry? Discernment. Very good. Thanks, brother. Discernment. Anyone who likes the gift of preaching? Please step up here. <laughs> and so, most of the time, when we talk about spiritual gifts, and when I, we would ask you what spiritual gift you would like to have, most of us would straight away go to the most spectacular, the more dramatic ones. Like healing, prophecy, maybe preaching, maybe teaching. What about the gift of intercession? What about the gift of hospitality? What about the gift of comfort? And so that's the issue in the ch- for the church in 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth, they were obsessed about certain types of spiritual gifts. And they think that if you have this particular gift, like prophecy, like healing, like tongues, you are more superior than someone else. But that's a problem. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul addresses this issue. He says, don't focus on the gift, focus on the giver. The giver decides the distribution. And everyone has a gift to bless the body of Christ, for the common good of the body of Christ. But then he says, there is a most excellent way. Can anybody tell me what that is? The most excellent way, thank you. And that's love. Love is for the way you know. Not that kind of L-O-V-E love. The love in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape love. It's a self-sacrificial, self-giving love of God. And so every time you apply a spiritual gift, whether it's the prophetic word, whether it's preaching or teaching, whether it's healing, if there's no love, you are like a clashing gong. It makes no sound and meaning. You can give your life to serve the Lord, but if there's no love, you gain nothing. So Apostle Paul was very clear about that. Love is the measure of your gift. Love is the measure of how you use the gift. And today we come to 1 Corinthians 14, where he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but he continues this emphasis on love. With this, let's go to the scripture text. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5. Let's read together, shall we? Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. 
For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, ladies, can you join me now? Let your lovely voices join me for this reading. What then shall we say? Brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and then someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. And now the brothers join me. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, but God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. And together now, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, there is only one main point in this sermon. And this is the main point. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts to build up each other. That's the key point. Because in verse 12 and 26, the Apostle Paul says, Excel in the gifts that build up one another. Which means we got to do more towards building each other up. Because that's the way of love. Remember chapter 13? So how do we build the church up in the way of love. And Paul illustrates that with the two most sought after gifts at the time of the church in Corinth, that is prophecy and tongues. But what then is the gift of prophecy and tongues? Let me do a bit of teaching here on the gift of prophecy and tongues. Now what comes to mind when you think of prophecy? Most of the time, predict the future, right? Most of us would think prophecy is predicting the future, it's foretelling. But you know, my friends, prophecy is more than foretelling. It is actually most of the time forth-telling. The understanding of prophecy in biblical terms is more that the Old Testament prophets would speak forth God's truth, God's will, and God's word when the people of God, the Israelites, broke covenant with God. All the prophecies, most of the prophecies were focused on warning and inviting Israel to return back to covenant. Prophets were speaking forth God's word and will for present situations and circumstances. And so prophecy, because it is intelligible, you understand it, it is a revelation. It's a revelation of warnings and judgments if you don't turn back. It is the giving of wisdom and insight so that there may be conviction, there may be repentance, there may be refreshment. There may be comfort. That's what the essence of prophecy is all about. 
And because prophets remain humanly fallible, mistakes and misinterpretations can be made. So today there are lots of modern day prophets. They call themselves prophets. And lots of prophecies that are going out. Now, especially after the recent Israel-Gaza conflict, many have stepped up to say and give issue prophetic words. And the Apostle Paul says that every prophecy needs to be weighed and tested. So how do we weigh a prophecy? Here are some guidelines. Number one, does it glorify God? Or does it glorify the speaker? Is it consistent with God's word? So for example, any prophecy that tells me that Christ will return on a certain day, at a certain time, at a certain place, I will treat with caution. Because the word of God actually tells us that no one will know when Christ will return. Christ will return like a thief in the night. No one will know. And so any prophecy that goes that direction, I will be very cautious. Does it build up the body of Christ? Is the prophecy spoken in love? Remember, prophecies are not meant to condemn us. Some of us are very afraid of prophecies because we are afraid that the prophet will reveal something in our lives, right? No, my friends. The spirit of prophecy is always to encourage, to exalt, and not to condemn. And finally, does the speaker submit himself or herself to the collective discernment of the community? And that means is the speaker humble himself to say that I may be wrong and I need the collective discernment of the community, the church. When COVID started, when COVID started, I preached a sermon. I preached a sermon about loving each other because those were very challenging times. Those were times where we begin to wear masks. Those were times that we gathered in small numbers and people were arguing with each other. These were Christians. Should we meet in small groups? Should we go online? Remember those days? I think you've forgotten already, right? Don't want to remember. Don't want to remember. Can't imagine we go back to those days. And those were the days where Christians were not living the witness. And so I said that we need to love and bear with one another. And many have come to me after the service to say, that is a prophetic word, pastor. Because that spoke to us. It convicted our hearts. And so here's the encouragement for all of us. The gift of prophecy is not dependent on the office of a prophet you can exercise the gift of prophecy in your small groups. You can exercise the gift of prophecy in your ministries. You can exercise the gift of prophecy to one another. When you go and with the Lord's wisdom and insight and discernment, you share a word in season and you bless someone with it. What about tongues? Tongues. Two key words. Two Greek words that you need to know. One is xenolalia, which means known tongues. The other is glossolalia, which means unknown languages which require interpretation. Xenolalia happens in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost, the disciples broke out in known tongues, which means they were speaking in languages that were known to the world and they were testifying to who God is with known tongues. And that happened once, 10 years ago, during the Trackers program. I was part of the Trackers Youth Discipleship program. And one session, we were having worship and, and a time of intercession and pray. And we were inviting the Lord to bless our youth trackers, young trackers, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of them started breaking out in tongues. And guess what? She was speaking in Korean. Now today, because of Korean you know, uh, drama, most of you will know some words of Korean. Right? She was babbling in Korean. And guess what? There was another girl in the group who who knew Korean, who understood Korean, who studied Korean, and she was able to interpret what this girl was babbling. 
This girl didn't know what she was saying. She didn't know Korean. But there was someone else providing the interpretation. And we were all so amazed at God's presence in that place. We were edified when there was interpretation. That's xenolalia. The Apostle Paul is not referring to xenolalia in 1 Corinthians 14. He's referring to glossolalia. Glossolalia is an unknown language. It is like a prayer language that requires interpretation. And if there's no interpretation, no one will actually understand what is being said. And here's the point. Tongues is a prayer language which actually helps us to draw near to God. Tongues express that desire for more of God. It is the awareness of the deeper encounter of God's presence. Tongues express a fresh longing through prayer beyond words. In Romans 8.26, it says the spirit groans. And tongues help us to groan. You know, when, when I heard of what was happening in Israel and the Gaza, and every time I pray, I would break out in tongues. And I would pray that intense longing for peace is so real. It breaks my heart. And as I'm drawn into the presence of God, I realize that God comforts, God assures. Now I want to say this, not all of us here will have the gift of tongues. You are no spiritually less if you do not have the gift of tongue. But to those, some of us with the gift of tongues, we use it to draw near to God. And primarily the gift of tongues would edify ourselves. But this is a gift that allows us to encounter God's strength and have that newfound freedom to perhaps even worship Him. And here Paul wants to dress, wants to press home the point. The point is this, spiritual gifts are not for individuals. Paul says spiritual gifts are to build each other up. Remember, that's the main point in 1 Corinthians 14. And so the three lessons I leave with you. How do we build each other up? Three points. Edify others, welcome, bring order instead of disarray. And these are the three lessons I want to draw from 1 Corinthians 14 for us today. First, edify others instead of yourself. Here's Paul takes a position. Paul says that prophecy is preferred. Why? Because prophecy speaks to others. And because prophecy can be understood, it's intelligible, others are edified through your prophecy. And so what prophecy does is that it strengthens, it consoles, it encourages. Prophecy brings revelation, knowledge, and instruction. It convicts unbelievers of their sin. Imagine seekers come to our service and we declare a prophetic word either through the pulpit or when someone comes and encourages them with a prophetic word, they, they are convicted of their need for God, to turn back to God. Imagine they come for service and they hear Pastor Ian's prayer earlier and they sing the songs that release a prophetic word for them in season and they, are, they find themselves drawn, drawn to God. You know, I'm so, so blessed by a testimony of someone who attended our online Christmas service last year. Online, by the way. And he, he had left church. He felt he was a prodigal. He felt he was not good to go back to God. But when he heard the Christmas message, he gave his life to Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus and he was welcomed back to our community on site. And he attended ba ba baptism membership class. Like that, straight away. That's what it took for him. That encounter of God, that prophetic word release. And you know that prophetic words can be released week after week, whenever we gather. And that's the power of God. It convicts unbelievers of their sin. It lays bare the secrets of our hearts. 
so that the presence of God is witness in the congregation. Tongues, on the other hand, if they are not interpreted, they speak primarily to God. They edify the individual. And unless they are interpreted, it doesn't edify anyone. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul is not against the gift of tongues. Paul is saying that if tongues are uninterpreted, it really doesn't edify anyone. It simply edifies the person, the speaker. And so he asks in the text that the speaker be responsible to seek God for the interpretation. If there's no interpretation, it's okay not to speak tongues in public. It's okay to keep quiet because the purpose of a gift is to build each other, is to be exercised in love. I want to leave you with some questions for application and they're really practical. Do we use our gifts to bless others or to show off? You know, the use to say flex. Huh? If you have the gift, why don't you just flex it? Do we consider how we can bless others instead of pleasing ourselves? Do we encourage participation or actually do we promote individual performance? How do we have individual performance? In your small group, you are an excellent Bible study leader. In fact, you are the best and you know it. And because of that, the entire Bible study in your small group is centered on you and you alone. That is performance. You lead a ministry and you really are very gifted in leadership. And the entire ministry is centered on your leadership. But you don't draw others with you. That's performance. That's not participation. Yes, you may be very, very gifted. But Paul's point, if I may draw from the text, is that when you choose to edify others, you choose to invite them to come along with you. In my early days as a pastor, can I share something? I must confess that sometimes I really wanted to impress others with God's word. I remember one sermon I preached. I thought I got it all worked out. The language was exquisite. The theological jargon was impressive. The exegesis was splendid. You know what? What's exegesis? Simply interpretation. But no one understood what I was saying. I was clear, but clearly confusing. I was very clear, but clearly self-glorifying. And God really convicted me because it was a performance up here. I didn't draw people to come along into God's word. That was my journey on my own ministry. And so it is for all of us because some of you here are very gifted. But your giftedness is never about your pleasure. But your giftedness is always to glorify God by edifying someone. And that really has deep implications on the way we do ministry. For example, worship. Our choice of songs. Our arrangements must invite the congregation to participate and not just about the performance of the team on stage. When we serve in our small groups, do we take turns for testimonies, for mutual encouragement? Do we intentionally want to include others even when they are not as gifted as us? That's how we edify one another. Brings me to my second lesson now. Welcome instead of hinder. And that is anchored on one particular portion of 1 Corinthians 14. If you have your Bibles, just turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Alright? Let's keep your Bibles open, electronic or otherwise. You see, in verse 22, it's an interesting verse. Verse 22, it says, Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. What does that mean? Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And here's where the Apostle Paul cites Isaiah 28, 11 to 12. He says, With other tongues... 
And through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to these people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And so Isaiah 28 is a passage pronouncing judgment upon unbelieving Israel 700 years ago. And because of Israel's sin, Isaiah says, God will judge them. And God will judge them by setting foreign invaders over them. And these foreign nations, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and then eventually the Romans, they were foreign conquerors. And when they came, they spoke in foreign tongues. That's why with other tongues, and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to these people. And the, the nation of Israel will feel very far away from God. They will feel that God is away. God has alienated them because of these foreign invaders that have come. They speak to Israel in languages that Israel would not understand. This is a sign of judgment. Israel will feel very unwelcome by these nations. And so my friends, here's the point. Uninterpreted tongues are very unwelcoming. They are very unwelcoming to unbelievers. Remember, imagine if a seeker, an unbeliever comes to our service or even comes to our small group meetings and we're all babbling in a language that the the seeker or the unbeliever doesn't understand, doesn't grasp, it's actually not very welcoming. In fact, it's a sign of judgment for the unbeliever because when they join the church service, they will feel very unwelcome. They will be hindered from coming to God. And some say it's like an ACS boy going to a Chinese service. Sorry, ACS boys, but may not be very well known for our standard of Chinese. But we go into a Chinese service and it's like tongues. We don't really understand what's going on. It can be very unwelcoming. In May, I was in London for Alpha Conference and I had a chance to step into a Greek Orthodox church one Sunday. They were all going on in a Greek chance. There were only two words I knew. Kiri Eliasson, which means Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. That's the only two words I knew. The rest of the entire service was in Greek, really Greek to me. And I stood there and nobody came to say, hi, welcome to our service or attempted to help me understand the liturgy. I just stood there for a good 45 minutes. I didn't know when to stand, when to stand. It, it was really tongues to me. And I felt honestly very unwelcomed. And that's why the principle here is that we welcome and prophecy is a sign for believers. In fact, it's a positive good sign. It's a sign of welcome. Guess what? Prophecy is a sign of God's presence because when God's intelligible revelation is given, it shows that God is with us. Have you stepped into a service and you hear the sermon or you, you engage in the worship and the press and you realize God is with us? Because you feel God's presence. That's what prophecy does. It welcomes people to God, to turns hearts to repentance. And so application. Today, as a church, do we welcome or do we hinder? Do we make it easy for others to join our community? Do we make it easy for people to be integrated into our small groups? Or are we a holy huddle? Or are we so close that we do not speak the language that will welcome people? Do we listen without judgment? Or are we quick to impress our opinions? Do we seek to encourage and genuinely care for others? A recent research done by Barna, 30% of seekers and pre-believers would welcome someone to care for them instead of trying to convince them to come to Christ. They would welcome a meaningful relationship with you 
before you try to impress your beliefs on them. My friends, this is really a serious thought upon welcome. And I'm really thankful that our church is moving towards that, to developing a welcoming culture. At this juncture, will you join me to honouring our hospitality team? Let's give them a big hand. Our hospitality team works very, very hard every week. Let's give them a big hand. I mean, I was seated there and someone had difficulty scanning the QR code and straight away someone came with the QR code to scan. That is very, very welcoming. I thank God for that. Yes, my brother is nodding his head because he's the one who scanned the QR code. It is very welcoming when we do our best to promote a culture that welcomes anyone. That's why we hoped that when there are new believers among you, is it okay after the service, you just bring them to the welcome corner? Is that all right? Let's develop that culture. The welcome corner is just down the road. You can just bring them to the coffee place and there will be people there who will introduce them to the church. All it takes for you to walk to the other side and bring them to the welcome corner. My friends, I pray that God would help us welcome one another instead of hinder. And that brings me to my last lesson. My last lesson is that we have to bring order instead of disarray. This is a very important point. The Apostle Paul stresses on that. Paul says, right, remember? Be eager to prophesy. Don't stop the speaking of tongues. But everything has to be done in a fitting and orderly way. Why? And here's the theological basis. Because our God is a God of, not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. So every time there is order, I think that reflects the nature of God. Every time we promote order, If we bring about peace, it reflects the nature of God. So what do we do? Paul says, take turns. Two takes. Two takes, okay? First take. Take turns. Take turns to speak in tongues with interpretation and prophesy. Don't rush. Take turns so that there may be order in the house. That's why he says, prophets, you can control when you speak or not speak. Prophecy is not some aesthetic, out-of-body experience, uncontrollable manifestation. It's not, my friends. You can control the spirit within you to speak or not speak and wait for your turn to speak. And even not speak at all. You have control, but you honour the order. And you must understand that in those days, the church would gather in homes. It's not like today, a large gathering. Imagine with me, 20, 30 people gathered in a larger house. And imagine if everybody was, were prophesying at the same time, you can imagine how one it is, right? Or worse, if everybody was speaking in tongues at the same time and you bring a seeker coming, they would think this is a madhouse. This is a cult. And he would walk away, being far away from God, unwelcome. And that's why Paul says, take turns to prophesy. Take turns if you have an interpretation. The second take, take your questions home. Why? Because verse 34 to 35, I wanted the most controversial verses in the Bible. If you look at verse 34 and 35, it says, Women should not speak. Women should remain silent in church. Women should remain in submission. It is disgraceful for women to speak. Look at those two verses. Now, on plain reading, it sounds like an absolute ban. But Paul could not have meant that. In fact, in chapter 11, he spent 15 verses explaining what women should wear while they prophesy in church. And so if Paul allowed prophecy in church in chapter 11, there's no reason for him to ban women speaking in chapter 14. And so why? What do the verses mean? Now, there have been different explanations, 
But I think the most plausible one in the context of chapter 14 is that some women were in the habit of interrupting their husbands while they prophesy. Hey, what are you talking? Wait, what do you mean by that? Huh? Wow. Interrupting. So imagine a small group church when the husbands would prophesy, the women would interrupt and ask all the questions. So Apostle Paul says, ladies, don't interrupt, but clarify at home. Look at verse 35. It says, speak to your husbands at home. So there is the context and allusion to the fact that if you want to ask about something, don't disrupt the order of the house, the order of the service. In fact, my friends, the Greek word for submission is not what we understand today like subservience. No. The Greek word for submission actually means to be silent. So simply, women, be silent. There is a time for you to ask your questions. Ask it at home. Don't interrupt the order of the gathering. Some application questions for us. And this is an important one. Do we help facilitate order in the way we organize and communicate? Do we bring clarity? Or actually do we bring confusion? And that's why communication is so important. When we communicate a message to the church, do we help bring about clarity? When we communicate a strategy, an approach in our ministries, when we communicate a directions for the church or directions for our small group, do we bring confusion or do we bring clarity? Do we help one another understand so that there's order in our services and in the house? I think these church signs don't really help. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. You understand? You caught the joke? Let the church help to kill you. That's what it's trying to imply. Confusion. What about this church sign? This is really funny. We love hurting people. Actually, what the church sign wants to say is we love people who are hurt. Who are hurting. Not we love hurting people. This is confusion, my friends. What do we stand for? I'm mindful that we need to help each other establish that order. Because that order helps, welcomes one another into the house of the Lord. Do we appreciate the order of our services? Do you know that there is a theological order by which the service you've experienced earlier was based on? Do you know there's a theological liturgy that we have at the back of our minds? Do you know the team? We take a lot of time to plan the order of our services. Why? Because there is order. So it starts off with preparation, the first P. And so when you come early, you are engaged in the order, preparation, prayerful prayer. Thank you for those of you who are early because you are able to engage in that order. Prayer for preparation. Then P, we have praise. We started this worship because we need to focus our attention away from our worldly ways to who God is. That's why we started the song by praising God, declaring who He is. And from praise who God is, it leads to prayer. It leads to repentant prayer. As Pastor Ian led us earlier, when we posture ourselves to say, because God, you are great. We need you. We humble ourselves. We repent of our ways. And then from prayer, we lead to welcome. Because we, from who God is, that's why we are the family of God. Our announcements, our welcome, our giving, is all postured on the greatness of God. And then we have the next P, which is proclamation, which is what I'm doing now. And finally, later, when you leave this place, the last P is promise. Amen? Promise. There is a promise that our God is with you. When you leave this place and return to the world, God is with you. God has never stopped loving you. You leave your hearts with a promise of God's word and God's encounter. There is an order, my friends. You know, in the early days of prayer and praise, just in case you didn't know, when we were part of that charismatic revival, 
I recall there's a great big grand piano here, some of you older will remember. And I'll be playing, and the worship leader will be leading, and we will actually allow time for prophetic words to be spoken. We will allow time for scripture to be read. Some of you are, wow, really? Uh? Yes. And it can go as long as 15 minutes. I run out of songs to play already. And, and really, it was a time where we honored the, the presence of God and we allowed space for words to be spoken. There were those who would shout out scripture and then we will all kind of weigh what's the message to us as the people of God for that time. Those were the order of the, the, of the, the older days. But today, there is an order I need you to appreciate. And so when you come and you engage in that order with that intentionality, that means you put aside your devices. It means you give God the undivided attention because there is an order by which you are involved in. An order of praising God. I'm going to close. And I'm going to leave you with the word in season. Isaiah, Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. I want to release this word over you because in the times that we are in, I pray that today you will eagerly desire the gift of encouragement, the gift that God will bless you with a word to sustain someone who is weary. Amen. Because there are many, many weary souls out there. What has happened in Israel and Palestine is a reminder that we really are in the final days. We really are called to live for God. We are really called to encourage one another as the day is approaching. And I pray that you will eagerly desire that prophetic gift, that gift of speaking wisdom and insight to one another. Even the gift of warning each other to stay and walk the righteous path. I pray you will catch the heart of God that we will be a people, a nation that will rise up and not be complacent but to go on our knees in prayer to pray and intercede for what's going on in the world for what's going on in our nation that the things that break God's heart will break our hearts that today you will utter a word in season Amen that today you will utter a word that will raise someone who's weary because there have been people who have come to my life and uttered prophetic words to me when I was weary and I find myself lifted up. I recall one time I was facing conflict in the ministry and when my mentor, my mentor came to me and said, Raymond, remember, you are not on different sides. You are on the same side. You are on the same side. You love God. You may not agree, but you are on the same side. Don't fight partner, work together. Those were prophetic words that breathed life to my soul. I was so weary at the time and God lifted me up. Today, will you lift someone up? Will you lift someone up? We are in a ministry of helping each other walk the path that will truly glorify God. Now, that's the word I want to leave you. The rest of the sermon, I leave it to you for your consideration. But I want to end the service with this word. I just feel that I've got to pronounce it and invite you to take this word. Let us ask the Lord, Lord, give me that prophetic gift that I may edify your body. I may lift up someone who is weary. 
with a love that breathes your life. My friends, because God is worth it. Amen. He's worthy. As we close, we want to declare that He alone, He alone is the giver of all good gifts. And we will eagerly desire the gift that we may build each other up and help each other along the way. Join me in prayer. Where you are, I just invite you to open your palms. Just face them upwards. Would you invite the Holy Spirit to begin to enable you to lay down and surrender every burden? So imagine that burden in your hand right now. What is the thing that troubles you? What is the thing that causes you anxiety? The situation may not change, but you can be changed. And you can surrender that to God right now at the foot of the cross. And as you do that, pray for God's peace to come upon you. Pray for God's love to fill you. Father, we praise you, Holy Spirit.